If you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 28. 1 Samuel chapter 28, as we continue our study through the book of Samuel. If you've had a chance to read this particular chapter of God's Word, I'm sure um, it has led to many questions. Um, some would just entitle this, this chapter, The Witch of Endor. And what we're going to see as we hear from God's Word, Saul, King Saul, uh, does have a very, very interesting interaction, experience with the medium of Endor, what I hope we don't miss is the reality of the darkness in Saul's life at this point. We just were able to sing corporately, Speak, O Lord. And what we see in this chapter is Saul coming to the point in his life where the Lord is no longer speaking. And so there is a, a word of warning that I pray God would impress upon us as we hear from his word. While the Lord is speaking, we must listen, hear, and respond. Now please follow along as I read from God's word, 1 Samuel chapter 28. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said, to David, that's the king of Gath, understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Now Samuel had died and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and, and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or Urim, or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, Divine for me, by a spirit and bring up for me who, whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? 
He said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress for the Philistines are warring against me and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand, and have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fattened, fattened calf in the house, and she quickly killed it. And she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it. And she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. Hear the word of the Lord. Just by way of reminder, in chapter 27, if you were confused at the beginning, the first two verses, why is David in the Philistines' camp with the king of Gath, King Achish? And if you remember, David flees from Saul, thinking, if I go to the Philistines, maybe Saul will quit chasing after me. And his plan up to that point worked. And we have a hard stop in verse 2 of our chapter where the, the writer does not does not pick this up until later. It's left as kind of a cliffhanger, this exchange between David. Now, now that the Philistines are going to be mounting their troops against Israel, he's called upon to be part of the Philistine army. So his plan begins to kind of unravel, or some would say even kind of backfire at this point, where there was deception and he was removed from Saul's pursuit. He now, because he has done so well in the land of the Philistines, is called upon to now fight with the Philistines. But we're left there in that story, and we pick up Saul's response of the Philistines now gathering around, rallying the troops to come after Israel. So in verses 3 through 7, 
in preparing to tell us about Saul's dark night. The, the writer of this book in chapter 28 in these verses first informs us of a few things, kind of sets the context of what leads to this despair, this desperation in King Saul's life. So first we're told that Samuel had died. We had been told before, but this is reiterating a very big deal in the king's life. Saul has died and all Israel mourned for him and buried him in his own city. It had been Samuel who anointed Saul as Israel's king. And it was Samuel who brought messages to Saul from the Lord. Samuel is now dead. These messages have ceased because he is dead. Yet the great judge and prophet's death gives really a sense of finality to Saul's situation or his alienation from God. So this note by the writer is to inform us there's much more than just Saul the prophet passing away, but what it represents. The king is no longer in touch with God's word. Second, we are told in these few verses that Saul had previously done a thing that he should have done as king. He removed all the mediums and necromancers out of the land. This is rooted in God's word. This was in accordance with God's word, which, which declared in Deuteronomy chapter 18, there shall not be found among you anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer, or a charmer, or a medium, or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. Very clearly, from God's word, this is what should be driven out of your midst. This was God's judgment on the land of Canaan because of all of these things that were, that were there in the land. And God is telling his people they must be removed. So Saul had removed them. Thirdly, we see Saul's problem with the Philistine invasion. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And then lastly, another problem was that God had refused to answer Saul when he called upon God. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer. There were ways in which God spoke to his people during this dispensation, this period of time, by dreams, by Urim, or by prophets. So if you remember, this is kind of a, an obscure, we don't know a whole lot of details here, but uh, Urim or Thummim, or Urim and Thummim were, were used as, as guidance and kept in the ephod of the pre, bless, uh, breastplate of the high priest. It was like two stones, we, we think, that would give answers of yes or no or no answer. Um, and it was used by God's people for a period of time that would help them understand God's will. So there were no dreams given. There was no use of the Urim or prophets speaking to Saul. He was not hearing the voice of the Lord. But we, we need to remember uh, this, the, this, this last problem, or, or one of these problems, well, all the problems, but specifically the problem of not having the breastplate, these, these two stones or whatever exactly they were of Urim and Thummim, this was of Saul's own making. 
If you remember, it was Saul who had the priest of Nob slaughtered. Only one escaped, Abiathar, and he took the ephod to David. It is no longer in the presence of King Saul. And so, in a very real sense, we are told in this description that Saul is completely isolated. God has abandoned him. There is silence. And as the armies are coming forward, you could say whatever in your own life, the circumstances, the waves are crashing in. This is what's happening to Saul, and he is not hearing anything from God. So the context is is given to us in verses 3 through 7. And in verse 7, we're also given some more information that's important, setting the scene of this particular chapter. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. So we don't know exactly when Saul drove out the mediums and the necromancers, but what we see here is a turn, a turning to what the Lord had forbid. And what it, what's even a little um, more uh, dark about the scene is the way in which his, his servants respond. Almost immediately, behold, we know exactly where a medium is. And you have to wonder who, who are the ones that, that Saul has been surrounding himself with all these years as a king as we've watched his heart grow colder and hardened towards the things of God. I mean, the fact that they knew exactly where to find a medium is not a, a positive indication for those walking in holiness and uprightness before the Lord. All of this is painting a picture of this dark night for King Saul. So though they were banned, his men knew exactly where to find them. And so the plan takes hold. And we see in verses 8 through 11, Saul's plan. And I just want you to hear it again. He disguises himself and he puts on other garments and he went. And he took two men with him. And they went to the woman, this witch or medium of indoor at night, setting the scene in the dark. And just, just by way of note of location, this is helpful, where, where the description of Saul gathering his troops was given to us in this chapter and where the Philistines gathered, you could say they were south, the Philistines north, Endor was north of that location. So in order for Saul to get to the witch, the medium, this disguise was probably multifaceted reasons why, but one is he would have to go in or around the Philistines in order to even make it to this medium, around or through beside the enemy camp in order even just to get to this act of disobedience. So we, we see this disguise put on, the, the time of the night, they go when it's dark, and when he gets there, we're told exactly what he tries to, to do, his plan. He is wanting this woman to divine for him a spirit. Bring up whoever I ask you to bring up by name. The woman lets him know that Saul has already made this, this decree upon the land, that this should not be part of this land, driving them out. And the woman is suspect, thinking, if I proceed, I'm going to be laying my life on the line. Maybe her, her spidey sense was, was made aware at this, this time that these three men just looked a little out of, out of place and they're coming and they're asking for me to do a work that I know I will get in trouble to do in the land of uh, Israel. But 
Saul swore to her. And I want you to hear this. Every detail here is, is not to be missed. How did, did Saul convince her to go ahead and do what was banned in the land? He swears by the name of Yahweh. By the name of the Lord, don't worry, you're going to be okay. Everything that I'm asking you to do, it's all good. You will not be punished. Nothing bad or harm will come upon you if you do this thing. This is just to like continue to raise the bar of, of rebellion and hardness of heart in the life of Saul, the, 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 this dark night presented to us. Now, a question needs to be asked, why do so many, maybe it's kind of fallen out of popularity, maybe in our neck of the woods, but globally, I can promise you, many people seek out mediums, seek out psychics, seek out those who can bring them some word of assurance or reassurance, maybe from uh, a loved one or something in their life, a pathway. They, they need to know, they need to hear from someone some word of reassurance that things are okay or will be okay. They offer what people are desperately in need of, a word. Here's the problem. It is not God's word. And I, I know this is as clear as day, but, but what's, being, what's happening here is there is a desperation, a need that is legitimate in Saul's life. A need in all of our lives to hear a word. And what is so dark about this setting is that he no longer hears God's word. And so he seeks out a word from somewhere. Saul was desperate. And we see that his desperate times leads to desperate actions. Now, the disguise also is important for us to just make note of. I mentioned putting on the disguise to possibly get by the Philistines. But also, as we will see throughout this chapter, it is taking off what he has been called to be, the king, and wear the robe of a king, and now putting on other, other type of clothing. All of this is word pictures to describe this movement into, into darkness. Upon arrival, we, we see this exchange that happened between them. And really, as I had mentioned, this all gives credence to just another validation of Saul's hardened spiritual condition. So in order to violate God's law and ensure protection to this woman, he actually vows in the Lord's name. I mean, just let, let that settle in the words that he uses to convince this woman to proceed. Then in verse 12, when the woman saw what Saul had asked him to do, which is raise Samuel, when she saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, do not be afraid. And goes on to ask her, describe exactly what you see. This description also is important. Samuel is, is recognized by his robe. And you may ask, why is that significant? Because this is the robe going all the way back to chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, which the last time that they met, Samuel and Saul, 
Saul had ripped, grabbed at, and tried to cling to his kingdom in the face of Samuel's message of God's rejection. And it just so happens that Samuel appears in that robe. Saul knows immediately that this this is Samuel. Meanwhile, like I mentioned just a moment ago, Saul has taken off his royal robe, the robe that he should be faithfully wearing. Now, in this exchange, in verses 15 and 16, some of the saddest words in all of Scripture are printed. So after he asked, what do you see? The woman said to him, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what is his appearance? And, and, he, and she said, an old man coming up, and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew immediately that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. And then we hear this word in 15. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And these words from Saul, I am in great distress for the Philistines are warring against me. And God has turned away from me and answers me no more. God has turned away from me and he answers me no more. Samuel gives Saul a word, but it's not a new word. It is hardly a welcoming, affirming, or encouraging word. It really simply is a reiteration that we'll see in these verses and an intensification of the word that Samuel had already given Saul. So Saul is looking for some hope of reassurance in a word. The words that come from Samuel's mouth are just a um, reiteration or intensification of the previous words that he had given, given Saul. Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and has become your enemy? The Lord has turned from you and become your enemy. The chilling moment in the story of Saul and this medium of Endor is not so much, even though this is very jarring, Samuel being uh, summoned and coming, Not so much the appearance of Samuel, but the words that are spoken. The Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy. Now, we heard earlier in the chapter that Saul was filled with tremendous fear. And that was based off of the Philistines coming. A Philistine army filled Saul with fear, but that is nothing compared to having God as your enemy. We hear a word from Matthew's gospel, chapter 10, verse 28. Please hear this. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So where some may say, just based off of circumstances, when Saul sees the Philistine army being mounted and he experiences that fear, That's one level of legitimate fear because he knows what's about to take place. This this army is is moving and active. And just just note, you remember the songs that were sung of David and, and Saul? David has killed his ten thousands and Saul his thousands. Maybe, just maybe in the back of Saul's mind, he realizes where David escaped to, where David has been the last 16 months. And maybe, just maybe, 
this amazing warrior might be part of this Philistine invasion. Just the fear that's growing there is legitimate. But it's as if the writer is helping us with comparisons here. That's one level of fear, but please hear this. When the Lord has turned away from you and he is your enemy, that is a whole nother level of fear. The response of Saul falling headlong at the end of this chapter is a right type of response when word comes to you and penetrates your heart, maybe for the first time, that there is an almighty God, righteous and holy. And if you have not experienced the salvation that is found in his son, you will experience his holy wrath because of your sin, right and just. The punishment of sin is death. We are worthy of that condemnation because of how we have sinned against a holy God. God is not your friend if you are outside of Christ. That is not the message that many receive. They hear of this God of love, and it doesn't matter what you do on this earth, God just pours out his love and grace. It's going to just all be all right. Saul here understands the reality of the one true God forsaking him, turning his back, and being his enemy. For some, though, the pressing question is whether or not, as you hear this chapter, whether or not this is really Samuel. I don't know if you've wrestled with this particular text in the Bible. Was this really Samuel or not? Did this really happen where the, the prophet Samuel was, was, was brought back? His spirit was there that day speaking to Saul. It is a question that I... I think we should think long and hard about, but um, unfortunately, there are many men of faith, godly men, who have disagreed on this interpretation of the passage. I want to submit to you, in line with one of the old saints, Matthew Henry, that God permitted, on this one occasion, the soul of a departed prophet to come as a witness from heaven thus sending him to confirm the word he had spoken on earth. I want to align with Matthew Henry here that God is able to do this. We should remember that Samuel was not the last of God's dead servants to appear on earth in spirit form. If you remember the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Gospels record the spirits of Moses and Elijah appearing with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. So just a few thoughts here as we spend a few moments thinking about whether or not this could have really happened. Was this really Samuel? Just want to give you some, some thoughts that may, may push you more towards affirming what Matthew Henry said, that God did permit this to actually happen. Just by thinking about what, what information is given to us by the writer, inspired by God, of 1 Samuel chapter 28. So the problem in denying that this was Samuel is that there are elements in the text that cannot be so easily dismissed. So when we see this woman of Endor, this witch, this medium, when we see her response, I would, I would submit to that, that, that that is actually a validation that this was maybe outside of even her wheelhouse. 
whether or not what she did was always a fake, when she saw Samuel, the woman cried out in shock, whom she initially identified as a god. When the woman saw Samuel, this crying out with a loud voice, I think should at least be put in the category of this was even uncommon for for her. This was something outside of the box that rocked even her world. Um, that would suggest that probably the, the activities that she, were, that she had participated in could have been fraudulent as she was extremely shocked in this particular situation. What we also see is uh, in verse 15, the writer writes very clearly, Samuel said to Saul. Moreover, the summoned spirit replied to Saul with the very message that he had given to him when he lived. I think that's important. The words that were spoken by Samuel to Saul were the very words that he spoke to Saul when he was, when he was alive. Hearing the words, the Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and has given it to your neighbor, David. Moreover, the Spirit uttered a prophecy that actually came true. All of these are important points to to just think and consider. Tomorrow, you and your sons shall be with me. Meaning tomorrow, you, Saul, and your sons will die. And that truly did come to pass. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Speaking from the realm of the dead, the spirit expected to see Saul and his sons dead that very next day. He says, you will be with me, you and your sons. So just some things to think about and consider as we reflect on this very interesting passage in 1 Samuel 28. What we are seeing in Samuel's response to Saul really further confirmed this dark night, this track that Saul was on. Why are you asking me what God, the Lord, has already told you? He has turned from you and become your enemy. If anything, Saul's quest should have been in this, in this season of his life to seek the face of God, to cry out and hear from God, not to seek a word from someone else or some, some other person. Saul, it seems, wants the results of what it would look like to have God's favor more than he actually wanted to have God's favor. Just to hear a word of reassurance is not the same thing as repentance and having right fellowship and communion with God Almighty. And then in the last five verses of this chapter, we see how he responds to this interaction with Samuel. Then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. He had no strength. We're told he hadn't eaten for quite some time. He was terrified. And it's really interesting to see, it's, it's now the witch or the medium of Endor providing care for the king of Israel, offering him food. At first he denies, but then as his servants come and the, the, the medium comes and pleads with him to eat so that he may have strength, 
He listens to them. And so, again, the writer giving us these stark contrasts of where Saul was. Remember very early on in chapter 9 of 1 Samuel into chapter 10, Saul's royal career began with this special meal prepared, if you remember, prepared by Samuel, after which Saul went on to become king. Think about that scene now with this scene. Now he eats his last meal, his last supper prepared by a witch or a medium. And then he goes on to certain death, where once he was getting prepared to be the king of Israel, this last meal is so drastically different. In this last scene, I want you to make note of this, Saul listened to them. Saul listened to their words. Now here, with that in mind, what Samuel said to Saul and his rebellion when Saul rebelled in 1 Samuel 15, verses 22 and 23. This is, this is what Samuel said to Saul. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? That's a question to Saul. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as inequity, iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also rejected you from being king. In a very sad way, it's like everything's come to fruition. Who is Saul listening to in this closing scene? What does God delight in? Obedience and listening to his word. And now we find Saul, the very last night of his life, not listening to God's word, but now listening to these two servants and this medium of Endor. The sadness, the darkness, I, I hope you can feel and hear coming out of the end of this chapter. Saul had rebelled against God and we're told in verse 23 of chapter 15, rebellion is as the sin of divination. What was he participating in going to Endor? What God abhorred. Everything that God said don't do, this is what Saul thought might bring that word of reassurance. In 1 Chronicles chapter 10, we get a summation of, of Saul's life. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, two verses. So Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord. Listen, this is what also it says. And also consulted a medium, seeking guidance. And he did, he did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. And the last words of this chapter, Then they rose and went away that night. This should remind us of another story. 
when Jesus was experiencing his last supper with his disciples. And if you remember, Judas was the one that would betray him. And after he received his morsel of bread, he immediately left and it was night. Going into darkness after being forsaken by God. And remember what it is said of of Judas. It would have been better for him not to have been born. When we think about that dark night, I want us to also just think for a moment, it wasn't just Judas that went out that dark night in rebellion, but there was actually one who also went out into the darkness, but it was on mission to save sinners who all are out in the darkness. Think of in the Garden of Gethsemane and and then on the road to Calvary's cross, what the Lord Jesus was willing to do in order to seek and save the lost. Everything that we're reading about in Saul's life, how dark it was for him at this moment where he has been forsaken by God. He no longer hears God's word and has found his enemy. This is exactly what Christ did on Calvary's cross to redeem us as ones who are in that same plight, that same place. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment of darkness, literally it was dark, but in that moment spiritually it was extremely dark because he was dying in our place, experiencing the abandonment of God that we in our sin experience so that by doing that, in order that we who were once far off and removed and distant from God might be brought into fellowship with God where you were once in darkness, God, by the work of Christ, brings us back into the light. Hear from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. I do not want you to be confused or deceived this morning. If you are not a Christian and you think things are going pretty well in your life, maybe you've even talked with a psychologist or a a secular counselor and they have confirmed, you know, you've got a pretty good head on your shoulders and, and things are going well in your life. Just do X, Y, and Z and you'll continue on that road of happiness and flourishing. Please Please do not be deceived. That is a false hope that this world gives that will crumble. If it has not already, it is a broken cistern where the water just leaks out, runs out of the back end of that crack. Listen to the Apostle Paul. If you are alienated outside of Christ, alienated from God, you have no hope without God in this world. The very definition of hope is actually having a relationship with the one true God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who rules and reigns, the one who will for eternity be with his people and the new heavens and the new earth. And those who are not his people will be, will be damned, will be away from him, eternally separated in hell. Those are the two realities And so if you think everything's right and good in my life and you 
you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never repented and received him by faith, please understand, without God, there is no hope. But listen to what Paul continues in verses 13 and 14 of Ephesians 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Please understand what true peace means. If you are outside of Christ, you do not you do not experience peace. There is a holy, righteous God who one day all will give account for every word spoken, every thought thought, and every deed done. There is no peace between those who are at enmity with God. That's how Paul describes those who are outside of Christ. We are children of wrath. So there is no peace, but the one who went into utter darkness who experienced that dark night of the soul to redeem sinners, the Lord Jesus on Calvary's cross, offers, offers peace, true biblical peace, where those who were once separated can actually have fellowship and communion and right standing before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So I want you to hear the despair of Saul's life at this time. And I pray that you understand that without God, there is no hope. But understanding that God, out of his great love for us, sent his only begotten son to make a way for there to be hope where there was no hope. It is found in the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. So this text is not gentle, but it is very clear. If you despise God's word, as Saul did, he will take it from you. If you persistently refuse to obey God's word, you will one day endure God's silence. There is great presumption upon many of us in this world that it will always be available to us. Oh, I, I've heard the gospel so many times. One day I'm sure I'll get to it. This life is a long life. That is presumption. You're presuming that it is going to be available to you. Listen to Saul. He is terrified because he realizes that he is God's enemy. He no longer hears God's word. That is a reality that happens. One who has been abandoned by God. May that not be so for you this very day. Saul did not inquire of the Lord until his doom was sealed. It was too late. And please hear me, God will not be marked mocked. And so the unbelievers in this room, are, this room need to hear this call from Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Otherwise, God may yet say of thee, as of those of old in Ezekiel 14, 3, son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word in its fullness. 
from Genesis to Revelation, you have spoken. And some chapters like this, they may be confusing to some. They may be disturbing to others. Father, I pray that if there is confusion, that that would be pushed to the side and there would be clarity and understanding where true, true hope lies. And may we heed warning from Saul's life. Father, may this be the day of salvation. Hearing your words proclaimed that there is only one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. What glorious news that is for those of us who are in Christ. May it, may it penetrate hearts and minds for those who are outside of Christ. There will be a day of judgment as we heard in Sunday school coming straight from your word. We all will stand before the, the judgment seat of Christ and give account. Father, may we be ones that have heard your word and respond in faith, clinging to our Savior, who lived the life that we could not live, perfectly obeying you. We rejoice in Christ's work, dying the death that we deserve to die. God, we praise you for our substitute. And Lord, may we see him ruling and reigning and find much hope, those of us who have received him by faith. God, in the midst of this being a hard dark even chapter. May it land heavy on us and by the power of the Spirit, give us eyes to see what we need to see. Apply these truths to our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand as we sing in response.